baseball is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up, and your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place. Exclusive interviews with players, coaches, and team executives streaming live and always available on demand. Stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the Odyssey app. 971 FM Talk Podcast. This hour of the Mark Reardon Show is sponsored by Gamma Tree Experts. Your trees deserve the best care. Call Gamma Tree Experts. Well, we are almost to the weekend. That means Friday at Reardon Roundtable tomorrow. Jane will be here on the panel. Also, uh, former county councilman, weird to say former, because he just ditched out of that position in the fall. Dennis Hancock is now my St. Louis County representative, but Tim Fitch will be here. And State Rep. Rasheen Aldridge, he's a newbie, so we'll break him in. We always like to haze the newbies on the Reardon Roundtable. 3 o'clock tomorrow, comedian Joe Mackey in the 5 o'clock. He's at the Funny Bone. He'll be here at 525. My next guest is from Fox Business, and I always like looking at the bios and finding out a little bit about the guests, and I find out that Jackie DeAngelis is fluent in both Mandarin and Farsi. Go figure, so am I. So pick your language. We'll do this interview in any language. English, Farsi, Mandarin. Which one would you go with? <laughs> I'm going to go with English, Mark. <laughs> um, I'm so glad that you said How are you, Jackie? Thanks for coming I'm on. I'm doing well. How are you? Fantastic. Thanks for having me. Well, I saw, you know, I've been seeing a lot of the promos, and obviously we're fans of uh, of all things Fox here at 97.1 FM Talk, but I know that there is a new lineup, and I was seeing some of the promos during the football game, and I thought, let's get somebody on to talk about this. Plus, there's so many things in um, the economy, and we'll get to the show here, I guess, in a couple of minutes. Let's talk about the GDP numbers and what you thought about that. I mean, on the one hand, pretty good news after a couple of quarters in negative territory. Does this mean that we're out of the recession, you know, fears? Uh, short answer to that, no. We had two <laughs> quarters of consecutive neg- negative growth in 2022, first quarter, second quarter. And this number was down from the third quarter. Um, and it wasn't really an impressive number when you dig past the headline um, and see that about, uh, let's see, uh, about two-thirds of a point came from increased government spending. Government spending is what's fueling inflation. So, you know, it's it's rolled into this GDP number representing growth, but that's not where you want to get your growth from. As a matter of fact, um, the, the number, when you dig into it, you could see that consumers are a little edgy right now and they're spending less. And remember that consumers are two-thirds of the U.S. economy. Um, and I, I have a lot of worries as we go into the rest of 2023 about layoffs, um, rising interest rates, and how this is all going to impact the average American. If you don't have a paycheck because you don't have a job, you're not going to be spending. And these GDP numbers are not going to hold up. So I have a, uh, a, a great mortgage client that that is not on the air with me right now, Golden Oak Lending, because, they look, nobody's refinancing. I've, they've been with me for a long time. It's a great company. I've done a lot mm-hmm. of the work with them. But w- when I was checking in with um, one of the guys from, from the company back late last year, just kind of saying hi, I think I had seen a commercial and I wanted to touch base, and, and he said, because I, I my expectation was, well, nobody's doing refis, right? You can't do a refi at 7% rate. The response was, you would be surprised at how much revolving debt people have. And that's yeah. that's kind of coming to roost right now. You had all these great times, and now people are putting, I think, Jackie, a couple of years ago, we are at the all-time low, high savings rate, all-time low with credit. Now it's kind of flipped, hasn't it? 
It's completely flipped. So during the pandemic, especially in 2020, when we were all, you know, under lockdown, there were no vaccines. Um, people had saved record amounts of money because they weren't commuting to work. They weren't eating meals out. They weren't buying clothes to go to events. Right. So actually something wonderful happened with the U.S. savings rate and you saw it spike. Then they blew through that money because they had fatigue from being, you know, locked inside their homes. Inflation, you know, skyrocketed. And so that added to how much they were spending. It was it was more than they would normally be on recreational activities and getting life back to normal. And now we're seeing statistics like the average U.S. household has over seven thousand dollars in credit card debt. Add to that that credit cards already were charging egregious interest rates and those rates continue to go up because of what we're seeing with the Federal Reserve, you know, those are difficult holes to dig out. One more stat, um, a significant amount of the American population doesn't even have a thousand bucks in the bank for an emergency, Mark. This is not good. No, it's not good. And, you know, I had like a couple years ago, it wasn't too long ago, I had, um, I bought this house that, that had a geothermal system in it. So, you know, I inherited this geothermal system and the house wasn't even that old. Well, the whole thing took a, took a crap couple years ago right and mm-hmm. it, my choice was to repair it at a certain figure which was much lower than the replacement cost which was higher but I'm like okay I'm gonna do the right thing I'm gonna replace it because I think it's the smart thing to do well I refied because the rates were really good at that point and you know I pulled some some um, money out to do that um, you're not gonna do that if you have less than a thousand dollars and you have a big emergency or something comes up medical bills or whatever what are people gonna do I think they're gonna put more on the credit card which is gonna create more problems right Absolutely. And Mark, it happened to me. I had breast cancer. I was diagnosed in 2021 in June. And um, I will tell you that when that kind of thing happens, it, it hits you out of the blue. You are not ready for it. And if you don't have a little money in the bank, it makes things very, very difficult. Well, what, what is your opinion of where the Fed, well, let's two questions, uh, how the Fed has managed this and what they might do, you know, this year. Are they going to back, back off a little bit on the rate hikes? What's the anticipation that you have? I think they're going to back off in the magnitude of the rate hikes. So, um, you know, Smart Money says when Jerome Powell announces the next one for um, for uh, it'll be I guess it'll be next week in in February um, that he'll do a quarter of a point. And, um, you know, a quarter of a point is less than we've seen three quarters of a point um, as we're heading into the end of the year. What I think his his um, strategy is going to be is to go slow Keep hiking, but go slow. Listen, you've got to get this over 6% inflation down to 2%. You're going to have to hike more. But how you do it will be crucial. And so he'll go slow just to see how it impacts the economy. He doesn't remember. He wants to engineer soft landing, as they say, which is very difficult to do. But he doesn't want to go too hard and and put us into a a deep recession. Um, So I think you're going to get several quarter point hikes. If it's not enough, he may have to do a half a point. Um, But, you know, Wall Street was thinking, okay, he's going to hike, hike, hike till the end of the year, maybe one or two in the beginning of 23. And then that he would actually start backing off and and lowering rates. That's not going to happen. Yeah. Rates are going to stay higher for a prolonged period of time. And people need to get their head around that, whether it's the person that you're talking about, you know, trying to buy a home, do a refinance, whatever you're trying to do, start a small business. This is the boat that we're in. And I ask people to sit back and reflect of, of, you know, on how we got here and how we got here was we had a really strong economy going to the pandemic. Yes, we had a crisis not seen in, you know, this magnitude in a hundred years. So we spent some money to try to get out of it. Uh, I would say, you know, between uh, March of 2020 
and when the vaccine rollout happened in 2021, early in January. And then we kept spending when Joe Biden came into office. Six and a quarter trillion dollars of spending in two years. This is where we are. Yeah, it, it's insane. And I, you know, I never remember in the course of my adult life, and I've enjoyed a lot of low rates over the past several decades, but I really don't remember a time like this. I mean, I certainly remember when mortgage rates were higher and then, you know, everybody refinanced in the early 2000s or whatever in the aftermath of 9-11. And then you had what happened in 2008. But this just feels different, doesn't it? I think it feels different. You know, and a lot of people talk about how rates were higher after um, the Carter administration was out of office, early 80s. Um, Paul Volcker had to, you know, spike the rates up to deal with rising inflation in a similar way. And yeah, I mean, the seeing rates at zero was sort of unprecedented in some ways, and you knew it wasn't going to last forever. My gripe with the Fed generally is that they should have started hiking sooner to curb inflation, and then they wouldn't have had to hike as much. And the slower that you would do it, you know, um, the impact on the economy, it all just would have felt um, not as jarring. I don't like these knee-jerk moves. It's not healthy. It doesn't feel good for people. Um, and it makes them feel like things are very volatile. So that's that's kind of the situation that we're in. Jackie DeAngelis is with us from Fox Business, the co-host of the new Big Money Show. So what would your expectation be? Because we're going to hear a lot of, you know, doom and gloom. The uh, sky is falling over this debt ceiling right now. Obviously, if if we default, that is not a good thing for the country. I happen to be a person that believes that we should have a discussion about the amount of money that we're spending right now. But what what's going to happen here? I think um, everybody realizes the serious magnitude of default. If, if the United States defaults on its debt, um, you know, we can trigger basically a global financial crisis. So I think both sides of the aisle realize that. However, they do have till June to have discussions and do a back and forth. We saw this um, the last time, I want to say it was 2011, and it got really serious where the S&P downgraded uh, the U.S.'s debt rating from AAA because there was so much concern about what was going to happen. But in the end, John Boehner was Speaker of the House. Um, he did appeal to it was President Obama at that time in the administration and basically laid down the law and said, you got to cut your spending a little bit. And they came to an agreement. I think the same thing will happen here. But sometimes you have to play hardball to get there. What, what you know, I find the housing market interesting related to all this, too. I just had a conversation with one of my one of my sponsors, Mark Gelman, who's a friend, has been a friend for a long time and my realtor. But, you know, I think our fears um, were at the start. Well, just go back three years, right? March of 2020. Mm -hmm. One of my first fears was, oh, my God, the housing market's going to fall apart. All this equity that we think we have is going to be gone. Well, the opposite kind of happened, right? And now, you know, we're still in a situation in this country, and Mark sort of spelled it out in the last hour, inventory is so low. And he says they're even getting, you know, over asking price offers and things like that. It just, some of this makes, and this is what you do for a living. You you focus on the economy. But for the rest of us who aren't that smart, it kind of makes your brain hurt because it doesn't seem to make a lot of sense. The labor market's interesting, too, right? Where the hell are yeah. all the workers? So this is a very yeah. interesting time in, in this country, and I don't know where it's going to take us. Can I just make one more comment? Yeah. The workers are at home. Participation is very low, and that's what's keeping this unemployment rate low. Um, the workers are at home, and they're saying, we got so much stimulus during the pandemic. If we stay home, they'll continue to give it to us, and that's exactly what they did. So they are not being incentivized to go back to work. That's number one. And with respect to the housing market, I think what's happening, the inventories are low and prices are staying high when rates are going up and prices should be going down. So what ends up happening there is you're going to create a situation where when the sellers are forced to sell and they have to fire sale things and drop those prices, you almost, you know, there's a bubble here. 
um, it's just not at the tipping point yet. So a few years ago, you did, and correct me if I get anything wrong here, because I get things a lot wrong a lot, Jackie, just so you know, but you did a, a, a series on capitalism versus socialism, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You, you, I would almost think, and that what was that 2019 when that happened? Yes, it's when I joined Fox Business. I would almost think that that debate would even be um, interesting to revisit three years later from the standpoint that the push towards socialism has yeah. been on steroids, hasn't it? That's correct. And it's funny because we were having the conversation early and these kinds of things don't happen overnight. But you're seeing a sea change with policy where slowly but surely and the pandemic, I think, just you know sped everything up. Um, with the stimulus checks and and making that move and and giving handing more money out to people. And, you know, that's what I'm saying when I say the the listeners need to think about where we are and how we got here. Um, That's slowly where this is going. And the more it goes on, the more people keep voting for Democrats in office, the more social issues are put in the forefront um, to a certain degree the more we're going to head down that road. And it's dangerous. People don't realize what they have. You know, my mother came from Iran. She immigrated to this country, and she always tells me the system wasn't perfect, but when the Shah was in power, Iran was prospering. It was flourishing. Things were good. And then a new regime came. They promised a whole bill of goods. They didn't say they were going to abuse women, and they weren't going to care about human rights, and they were going to lock down information and censor content and do all the things that they're doing. Of course, they don't tell you that. Um, so the people overthrow the Shah. They put this government in, in place, and, and now look where they are. You really need to watch what, what you're being sold, what people you know say to get in power and then what their actions are and what they do. You're I'm not t- saying it's going to yeah. be that extreme, but I'm just saying you've seen this happen time and time again in, in other countries. And what, what makes us any different? Absolutely. Uh, tell me about the new show, The Big Money Show. Weekdays, I think it would be noon central time, if I get it right. Uh, One o'clock Eastern, noon central. Um, I'm joined by my co-host, Brian Brenberg and Taylor Riggs. And we have a conversation about finance rather than, you know, a solo show and where guests come on and there's, you know, just a two-way conversation. It's a group conversation. And we're all sort of chiming in from different perspectives. We're watching the markets very closely. We're taking a look at where um, Main Street Wall Street and Washington converge. What I specifically try to do on the show is read these tea leaves, the kind of stuff that we're talking about here, about what's happening globally within our country um, to give people the context they need to think about things. I'll give you one example in my personal life. During the pandemic, speaking of housing, I live in New York City and I saw that prices had fallen briefly because people thought New York was going to implode and never come back. I hadn't seen that since 9-11. 20 some years ago, right? So I saw this brief price dip and then I saw the inflation on the rise and I said, wow, I have a little down payment money and I think I need an inflation hedge. Prices are going to be down for this brief period. So I bought an apartment with a two and a half percent mortgage rate and, oh, and, wow. and low pricing, right? That's the big picture. And, and I look back now and say, you nailed it. That's the big picture that I want to try to help people with is seeing what's coming down the pike and saying, what can I do now to position myself or protect myself? You know what else you nailed? We got to bring this up because you brought it up and maybe you never nail it completely, but you kind of, you got through this cancer bout and I want you to talk about that because you have publicly discussed it. You had, uh, you had double mastectomy, didn't you? I did. I had stage one breast cancer. I was diagnosed after my first 
mammogram. And this is why I talk about it publicly, because I believe that mammogram saved my life. Finding this at stage one, you know, made made ensured that it wouldn't be a, a bigger problem down the road if, if and when it was discovered. And so I urge women to go for their mammograms, go for their screenings. Don't put it off. Um, thank God, Mark, it's 18 months later. I'm through the hardest part of it. I'm through the woods. And, um, you know, I look back on the experience. I kind of think God does everything for, for some reason. There's reasoning behind it. I learned a lot. I'm, I'm spreading the message and the word to other people and raising awareness. So yeah, I, I awesome. hope that that helps. Well, it's important. You know, I, I, I do this in, in a in a similar way, but nothing as extreme because I've never had cancer. But I bring this up because I'm a lot older than you. And when I was, I think I was a little late on my colon cancer screening, it was 52. But I remember, mm-hmm. so that was like six years ago. But I remember the, it was either the day or the day after I did, the, you know, because it's a big buildup and everybody mm-hmm. has to take the, the junk and then, you know, what happens after yeah. that. But I went, went on Facebook where I don't even go that often. And there was a, a woman who I was friends with in junior high. Her name was Diane Cotton. I had a huge crush on her, just truth be told. Aww. But she had posted something about losing her father and that she had lost. So I'm in my 50s, 57. She's the same age. At this point, she probably had lost her father when she was like 42 years old because this goes back a while. And the reason that she lost her father is because he did not have one of those screenings that could have yeah. probably been uh, life-saving. So her her encouragement was, you know, do it. And I had just done it. I sent her a note and said, thank you, because this is a message that needs to be shared. And I've, I've had to scold a bunch of my friends who are in the same age group about it, because sometimes doing the right thing and just taking a little time is going to go a long way. Absolutely. And if I could just make one um, note on uh, doing the colonoscopy, the recommended age now has been dropped down to 45. So if you're 45 and you hear this, you should be thinking about it. And because I had cancer, pre-existing cancer, um, my doctors have recommended that I do it early. I'm 42 and I'm going to do it this year. And my doctor told me colonoscopy is the best, as she put it, bang for your buck. Yes. Because if they find a polyp and they remove it, they got it. You're done. They, you know, they, they fix it. Um, whereas some other cancers, of course, even after you remove them, there's always a chance it could spread yeah. or that a cell got That's away. That's why it's so important. So yeah. It is so important. And you know what? It's not everybody because you get all nervous about it. You get built up and, and it's not that bad. Plus, the Michael Jackson drugs are outstanding. I can absolutely understand those. Jackie DeAngelo, thank you so much. The Big Money Show, noon Eastern Time, Fox Business Network. Great to hook up with you. I'm so glad that you're on a, a path to great recovery with your health as well. Thank you, Mark. We'll see you on Fox Business at 1 p.m. Eastern, Monday through Friday. Next see you time we're doing this in Farsi, though. Just count on it, okay? Okay. All right, I'll we'll see. You. Take care. Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Baseball is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up. And your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place. Exclusive interviews with players, coaches, and team executives streaming live and always available on demand. Stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the Odyssey app. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours 
and great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. All right, we have um, the weekend coming up. That means Friday is a Reardon Roundtable. Jane will be on the panel tomorrow. Former County Councilman Tim Fitch and State Rep. Sheen Aldridge. We also have comedian Joe Mackey tomorrow night on the show. He's going to be at the uh, Funny Bone. We were hearing the ads. I thought, oh, that's Joe. right. Yeah. Joe on the show. So that'll be fun as we take you into the weekend. Uh, Dave Strom, uh, friend of the show on hotair.com, wrote about this a couple of days ago this blackout in Canada, which I found quite appalling and interesting. And I thought we'd explore it just a little bit. Jonathan Bradley, who is a reporter with the Western Standard newspaper in Canada, this is about a theater in Ottawa that is going to hold a racially segregated show for only black people. Jonathan, welcome to 97.1 FM Talk in St. Louis, Missouri. How are you? Thank you for having me, Mark. I'm doing well. How about you? Good. But this is one of those things that, you know, I read it and I was telling someone in the station this earlier, I don't know if you feel this way, that it's becoming increasing. I'm being serious about this, too. It's becoming increasingly difficult on social media to distinguish satire from reality. Have you noticed this? I mean, some people have developed really good, you know, satirical Twitter handles and sites that are blasting out things that are pretty funny, but you also think they're real because there's so much craziness in the world. Yes, well, I saw this story on uh, Jonathan Kay's Twitter. He's a uh, associate editor at Quillette, and he's a uh, really good source in Canada for anything like funny that like is woke. So I remember <laughs> yeah. I saw this, and I was like, "This has to be a joke." And then I went and I, I, like with John Kay, I'm kind of like, you know what? I'm like, chances are it's real. And then when I saw this, I said, "Oh my goodness, I can't believe this is actually happening." Yeah. So let's tell folks what's actually happening. This is part of something called the National Arts Center, right? Yes, the National Arts Center is the is a Canadian government-funded uh, theater in Ottawa, and it's hosting a racially segregated play, Restricted to Black People, on February 17th. And what it entails is the play is for, it's called Is God Is by Alshia Harris, and it's running from February 9th to 18th. And they're holding this blackout event to allow uh, Black people to feel connected with each other at the show and to have an authentic experience. When when Jonathan uh, Kay, the aforementioned Jonathan Kay, tweeted this out, he said, uh, from what I can tell, members of all races can use the same water fountains, bathrooms, and I'm sure other races will get their turn, right? Yes, and he was joking about yes. how he's, he himself is Jewish, and he was joking how he looks forward to Jew night. <laughs> well, is this being defended up there, Jonathan Bradley? I mean, because the only the only way I've heard about this is on hotair.com, and I mentioned it on the air yesterday. So it hasn't gotten a lot of coverage here in the U.S. I'm not surprised it hasn't inspired groups around here to do some of the same things. But is this getting some coverage in Canada? Is there a reaction? Yeah, I'm, well, I mean, Canadians are pretty polite people for the most part. So the Western Standard is one of the only real news outlets in Canada covering all sorts of uh, racial segregation stories such as this. I did a story a few weeks ago about how a Toronto University was restricting, uh, created this own student lounge for black students, and no other students were allowed to go in there. I know that at various American universities, they've set up dorms just dedicated to black students or Asian students or Native American students. Um, but yeah, in Canada, like in the States, we see more pushback, whereas in Canada, we're more polite, and we're just kind of like, okay, whatever. <laughs> you are more polite. God bless you, but we're not polite. We're not not anywhere close to polite. And you, you know, they mentioned there was a, a piece of audio that was uh, quite 
infamous, if you will, that I played a couple years back, and this was something that somehow spiked in the news last year. You might have even heard about this. You mentioned the Multicultural Center at Arizona State University, where there were a couple of students that were in there who were not black or, uh, you know, BIPOC, if you will, and boy, they, they got the, you know, the riot act read to them because they were in the space that was reserved for African-American students. And, you know, there was a student, do you remember this audio at all? Because there was somebody that was lecturing this white kid saying, you know, what is white culture and all these things that in any other circumstance would be deemed racist. But in this case, it's not. Um, I've ever heard of this audio story act. I think I might've heard of it maybe a little, but I don't like really remember the audio recording. But it's similar to what we're talking about here. Basically there's this sense and I don't, I don't know, I guess it's impossible for most of the media to push back because if you push back, then you're not woke and then you're, you're racist because that's what happens here. I don't know about Canada. Oh, definitely. I mean, in Canada, uh, most of the mainstream media with a few exceptions is like very hesitant to, you know, take on the woke culture. Western standard is an independent news outlet. So we don't, we're kind of considered, you know, more of an outsider, but and most of the independent media, for the most part, is covering these type of stories and you know, really hammering away at them. Uh, and I'm really proud to work for an independent news outlet such as the Western Standard. Do you think that I'm just curious about the differences between this country and, and Canada right now? So, you know, I do a conservative talk show here in the middle of the country. We're in a very conservative state. It's a red state, if you will. And there, there are a lot of those here in the middle of the country. You get into the, the coasts, obviously, and you would find this in Canada with your big cities. It's going to be a lot more liberal. But there is a significant, I don't know if I personally feel that we're at peak woke, but in the last couple of years, and maybe this is one of the positives of the pandemic because we've had parents that have gotten involved in a lot of these school issues, we feel in some way that maybe we've reached peak woke in this country. I'm not saying that I agree with that, Jonathan, but I think there are signs where there's more pushback than there used to be. You're seeing even more media coverage in traditional media outlets like the New York Times, the LA Times, the Washington Post on some of the gender issues where they're pushing back just a little bit, not a lot, but pushing back to offer different opinions that just a couple of years ago may have been verboten. Do you feel that that's happening in the Canada media, Canadian media or not? Yes, uh, there was actually a story about this. Uh, there's been some coverage of uh, in Canada, one big issue we've been having is uh, gender conditions and minors. Um, which I know in the States is more of a, like a, an issue that you guys are talking about right. more, whereas in Canada, it's kind of like a verboten topic. Like everyone's like, wait, what happened? Like, what do you mean by that? Um, there was a doc, there was a kind of like a new style documentary done on CTV news, which is one of our national broadcasters, uh, probably about seven or eight months ago. And I just remember thinking like, oh, if this was a few years ago, like this wouldn't have aired, but like now like people are willing to take on this topic, which is a good thing, but obviously Canadians are polite and we don't want to like offend people, but eventually you kind of have to take a stand and say, this is enough and I'm not going to put up with this. Well, I think you do have to say enough is enough. And, and I think the disappointment in, in this country, and I get it because, and I'm, I'm someone I could easily lose my job over saying the wrong thing. I think the main concern for people, maybe they want to be polite. Maybe they just want to keep their livelihood, right? Oh, of course. And uh, I've been uh, reporting on stories about, you know, like uh, woke incidents that we see across Canada and uh, there's sometimes people who will be like, I don't want to be named. Can you please not name me? Like, I don't want to lose my job. I don't right. want to like, lose my reputation. And it's a fear. I mean, I'm really happy I work for a supportive employer who stands by me and allows me to do these type of stories. Uh, whereas in much of it, most of the mainstream media, for the most part, they're pretty like, oh, I don't want to cover that. You know, we don't want to offend people, things like that. But you got to have courage. We're living in an era of cowardice and courage right now. And courage is more contagious than cowardice. And it's better to be to die while standing until on your knees. I love it. I love it. Well, keep covering this story, Jonathan Bradley. I appreciate the insight here in St. Louis tonight. So thank you so much for coming on the show.
Thank you, Mark. Have a great day. 537. I still have an audio cut of the day coming up here. I want to talk about something that is sort of separate but related on the uh, climate change front. There was a, a person, an activist out there that is known as Zion Lights. I have told you, ladies and gentlemen, of the 97.1 FM Talk audience about Zion Lights because Zion Lights is, and I can't remember what her real name is, but she has had a bit of an epiphany. And she wrote another piece here. She's basically one of those. It's kind of like, think of the parallels with the gender stuff that I mentioned, where you have people that have been involved in the movement over the course of maybe even decades that are now seeing some of the coverage, the social contagion aspects of this, saying, okay, wait, we were dealing with people with what we believe was true gender dysphoria. Now it's just the kids, and I'm putting words in their mouth. This is sort of... um, you know, using an interpretation of what they're saying. But now they're saying, look, some of this has gone too far. On the climate front, you don't see as much of that, but Zion Lights has turned the table. So she writes this column in um, the Free Press. It's called the Free Press, the FP.com, saying maybe you saw Van Gogh's sunflowers smeared with two cans of tomato soup or the 20-year-old man who set fire to his arm at a tennis tournament. I missed that one. So did you see that one? No. I missed that one. Wearing a T-shirt emblazoned with the words and UK private jets or the traffic on London's M25 highway blocked by protesters for days. One 24-year-old girl, Louise, climbed atop a crane on the highway. I'm here because we don't have a future, she explained between sobs. It's inspired by Greta Thunberg and some of this nonsense. So this person who writes this story, known as Zion Lights, was one of those people, right? She's been reformed. And she says, all these stories feature young members of a movement that claims to fight climate change by demanding their government stop using and producing fossil fuels immediately. Their methods seem unorthodox, and you're probably wondering how defacing artwork or gluing your hand to the floor of a Volkswagen showroom reduces carbon emissions. I don't blame you. Yep. She says, the difference between me and you is... I used to be one of them. For the past 16 years, I was part of one environmental organization or another as an activist or a paid employee. First, it was Camp for Climate Action, where we protested a different corporation every year. Once in a demonstration outside a bank in Edinburgh, we wore garbage bags and painted ourselves in molasses a nod to the tar sands that the bank was investing in, and stormed the Royal Bank of Scotland headquarters where I was arrested. I became a mother, she wrote, in 2011, and I swore off putting myself in danger, but I doubled down on my commitment to the movement. I wrote a book on ecologically-minded parenting. I was the co-editor of a magazine, Juno, on the same subject. I gave talks. I made television appearances. I wrote articles about the threat posed by unlivable temperatures that come from our reliance on fossil fuels. In 2018, I joined Extinction Rebellion in UK, the precursor to Stop Oil, the group behind the recent spat of destructive direct actions. She says, I started out on a local level. Our group was part of the collective that took over Waterloo Bridge in London for two weeks. We packed the bridge with demonstrators and refused to leave. Extinction Rebellion, also known as XR, took over four key sites in London during that time, the largest civil obedience demonstration in decades. It got everyone buzzing. One of the founders of XR, she writes, had watched a few of my media appearances where I spoke about climate change and stargazing. She liked that I relied on data in my talks and asked me to join XR media and messaging team. I was capitulated from being a local participant to a spokesperson for the whole organization. My days were spent writing for the national press, feeding journalists quotes and information, editing our newspaper, The Hourglass. The people I work with had big hearts and good intentions. Some are still my friends. But there were red flags. At my first XR media training, she writes, this is so awesome that someone's actually able to do this. Now, yeah. I won't get very much coverage outside of a show like this. I was instructed to cry on television. 
People need to see crying mothers. Jamie Kelsey Fry, the trainer and longtime XR activist, told me they need to be woken up to what they should really care about. They asked if I'd bring my children to climate marches for the same reason. The whole thing was a masterclass on how to manipulate emotions. We were instructed to bring everything back to the climate emergency and how politicians were failing us. Nothing about our solutions or science, okay? At the XR office in London, there was a sign that told you to keep your shoes on. Initially, I thought this was funny, a wink to our reputation as barefoot hippies, until I had to sit by people who were in fact barefoot. We, see, what it sounds like here is, I think, um, Ms. Oh my here's, here's what happened with Ms. Lights. If you're not catching on, she matured and grew up. Okay. This is what happens. So there's hope for some of you like me who have anarchists in your family who are, you know, totally brainwashed by this nonsense. She says, we had constant problems with people not cleaning up after themselves and walking around without shoes. I remember collecting all the mugs and our dishes in the office and washing them myself so we could have a clean environment to work in. The building's management was always threatening to kick us out. Another example, there was a room for healing at the office where people would nap, meditate, or get massages by volunteers. I was once called into the healing room by a friend to talk about problems in the movement. I thought this could be a productive meeting to talk about things that needed to change. For example, our focus on the end of the world, but was disappointed when we were told to pair up and share affirmations with each other. We were instructed to meditate and then connect to some higher power before sharing our feelings. There was a lot of talk about oneness. After about 10 minutes of strange pseudoscientific practices, I left with another attendee. I wanted to fix problems, not pray. And she goes on and she talks about this guy, Roger Hallam, who was in charge of XR. And he was uh, 56 years old, an organic farmer turned radical, the most dominant leader in XR. He turned to activism after his farm business in Wales collapsed, a failure he blamed on extreme weather. In 2018, he founded XR with other people, but ego, she says, propelled him to the top. And she kind of describes what this guy was all about and how people call him a hero and he's a genius and all these things. Uh, while Roger insists he's saving the human species from Armageddon, he doesn't do things you need to do to prevent it, like lobbying for legislation, electing sustainability-focused politicians, or fighting for actual solutions. Nonetheless, people, especially women, clamored over him. That's because Roger knows his followers, mostly young men and women. They feel immense guilt about their carbon-heavy lifestyles. This is what happens with these young people. They're so guilty. A lot of the, the if you're white and you're young and you're, you know, straight in particular, then you feel real guilty, right? And she says this, and some of us have used this word over the years when it comes to Greta Thunberg and some of the other climate cult. We've used the word cult. That's what she says. Yeah. You could almost describe Roger as the leader of a cult. I won't live to be 30, youth members would tell me. I tried to convince them they would live, but they were already under Roger's spell. This piece is amazing. She goes, just think of a Greta Thunberg, she says, at once an archangel and a Jeremiah telling at a Davos forum in 2019, I want you to panic. She is heavily influenced by XR. In 2018, at the age of 15, she was invited to attend its first assembly, which drew more than 1,000 people to London's Parliament Square for a declaration of rebellion. She has since amplified the message of imminent apocalypse to her 5.8 million Twitter followers and beyond, building her own cult of personality in the process. I've referred to that as child abuse with her parents, right? Now, th this is a very, very detailed piece, and she goes into all the protests and some of the things that happened, even that she participated in. Would you like to see what she looks like, Zion Lights? Oh, Different oh look. She's, yeah, uh, yeah. She's got lots of tattoos, dark hair, lots of piercings and stuff like that, but Basically, she's outing the climate alarmists as a bunch of hypocritical 
morons who are doing this mainly for the money and taking advantage of these brainwashed kids. Here's another truth. Just stop oil, she says, has nothing to do with saving the environment or waking people up to the climate emergency. It's about one man, his ambitions for revolution and power, and the innocent children he's brainwashed to do his bidding. One day I hope the spell can be broken. So she founded something now called Emergency Reactor, and I will say that um, I'm impressed from the standpoint that she says this, and this is where the maturation, I think, comes into play, and being a mother. She says, I have two children, and I deeply believe deeply in fixing climate change and saving our planet. I've dedicated my life to that cause. But, but in no universe do I believe that terrifying people with images of rape and cigarette burnings will do anything other than paralyze exactly the people we want to activate. <clears throat> By the way, think gender, think race, all the same things. This is what they're doing. Cigarette burns? Well, she was talking about something that happened because um, this guy that she was talking about and I skipped over some of this, so let me go back. Uh He had a pamphlet out that said to young people, and he was addressing, gangs will see your mother, your sister, your girlfriend, they will gang rape her on the kitchen table, they will take a cigarette lighter and burn your eyes with it. That was in a pamphlet about, it was this apocalyptic quote that was in a pamphlet about climate change. So she's basically saying, hey, look, here's the truth. This is my favorite part, probably, okay? And this is what Constant Kissin talked about at the Oxford Union, something I've talked about for probably 20 years when it comes to climate change. Hey, what about all the poor people out there that would like to have a little energy? She says, if we stopped using oil today, thousands of people would be thrust into even a worse crisis and the wheels of society would stop turning. We do need to replace fossil fuels, but with real alternatives, not the radical erasure that Roger wants. And by the way, she's right. Took her a while to come to it. Her voice needs to be amplified. We need more truth in some of these movements. And apparently, Northern Lights, or whatever her name is, I think I got her name wrong. Is that it? Northern no, Lights, it wasn't that. Else. I know, but I wanted to call <laughs> yeah, her Northern Lights just because, like I know, Zion Lights. Thank uh, you. Her uh, sister we, is named Northern Lights. Of course she is. All right, we have a roundtable tomorrow at 3 o'clock. We'll have Paul Hall on entertainment in the 4 o'clock hour. Mr. Frank Cusimano as well, and Joe Mackey tomorrow on the show. Todd Blattstock also. Todd's a guy I went to high school with and he works for the uh, St. Louis City Station, does some media stuff. I thought we'd invite him in to talk a little media and St. Louis topics. So that'll be tomorrow night. Let's do this here tonight. Playback ready. Now, the audio cut of the day. Well, I got two this afternoon. This would be an audio daily double. Uh, The first is Jane Fonda. And if anyone can really understand what the hell she's saying, please send me an email or something like that. For me, it was learning about the Vietnam War. And and when I really understood what that was about, I could not. I couldn't do anything except try to join the movement to stop it. Sexism, racism, misogyny, homophobia, whatever, the war. And if you really get into it, and study it and learn about it and the, wait for it the history of it and the everything's connected there'd be no climate crisis if it wasn't for racism where would they put the poison and the pollution they're not going to put it in bel-air they've got to find some place where poor people or indigenous people or people of color are living put it there they can't fight back and that's why a big part of the climate movement now has to do with climate justice what? How does that happen? Yeah, see, I don't know what she was. I really don't it's know. It's all what she connected, was Mark. It is all connected. Mm-hmm. You know what else is connected? Um, if you, do you are you an American citizen, Sue? I've really yes, never checked yes, your, your documents Thank or anything you for like asking. that. I'd be very careful about describing yourself as that. Though I just got out of a lecture, and my professor said something that really struck me that I feel like should have been super obvious that I just had not like connected the dots on before. 
and that is the fact that the term American citizen is like a racialized term. It's associated with whiteness, whether we want it to or not. Okay, so this oh, is. I can't. Yeah. Give me. Uh, I can't. Right. I'm this so is sick actually, of it. you know, I vetted that this is real. The Libs of TikTok is great picking up on these kids. They come out of class. Who are their parents? That's what I want to know. Because of the way that white supremacy is so, like, intricately bound with the foundation of the country that we call America, that when you hear the word American citizen, the first thing that comes to mind is a white person. And what's crazy is I have this super vivid memory when I was only, like, maybe, like, five or six years old. My mom was just about to get her citizenship, and she was like, yo, yo, I'm going to be an American citizen. And I was like, freaking out because i fully thought that my mother was going to turn into a white woman and obviously she didn't but it's just crazy to me how at such a young age i already was conditioned to think that american citizen meant white no it's not that's not crazy what's crazy is how stupid you are now in your 20s that's what i would say and this is what we're breeding out there i see and that's how, yeah i give up i don't even it's know exhausting. how it is exhausting but it gives me great audio cuts of the day doesn't it yeah. have a great night we'll talk tomorrow Get more at 971talk.com. We really need new phones. T Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcast. You'll be glad you did.